Frank, 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 they did it. It's basically almost April. Well, when the episode comes out, but it's as of time recording, March 31st, 2023. It is the end of an era and the start of a new one because Twitter source code for the the algorithm is open source, Frank. It's there. It's out on the internet. Go time. The algorithm? The algorithm? The The one no one knows anything about? The one that's starting to become less and less important in the world. But yes, the Twitter algorithm. Um, have you ever done a, a ranking algorithm? Have you ever had to write that for a product? Uh, I kind of messed around with the ML.net and the cognitive services. There's like a recommendation engine. So I didn't write mm-hmm. the algorithm. I didn't write the algorithm, <laughs> but I used an algorithm that, that basically yeah. would do that. So for example, I think Pierce wrote the one example for cognitive services where you like put a bunch of movies into a thing and then based on rankings, it would like recommend something to you basically. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what's so nice about them. They're so easy to say like that. And then you sit down to write it and you're just like, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> you're like, what, what's important? Are likes important? Is who you follow important? Is the algorithm itself important? There's a lot of people who hate the algorithm, right? Everyone just wants the linear timeline. Just show me chronological order. People don't show me any algorithm. But uh, I'm actually, I, I think I like the algorithm. It, there can be a lot of complaints though, right? It, it can reinforce bubbles or I feel like it can also get you out of bubbles. But I think the algorithm is kind of important for websites. I don't actually want a pure chronological timeline. And so it's good that it's open source, but it's open source and hashtags. We got to get into it because I'm not sure how anyone's ever going to contribute to this thing, but maybe we'll talk about it first. <laughs> Well, and, th- and that is the real question at the end of the day. So today, uh, Elon and uh, Twitter engineering team did a Twitter space and they talked a little bit. I didn't listen to it, but I, I I did click on it for five seconds. And they're like talking about the algorithm and this and why it took a little bit longer to open source and blah, blah, blah. Because open sourcing things are hard when they've been closed source for, you know, the entirety yeah. of the product life, which is you know, Twitter's what, like 15 some odd years, I don't know, 20 years old. It's old, right? It's not like it's a new new product. And there's tons of things that you need to be concerned with in that source code. Not only what people wrote, but then, you know, if <laughs> there's legalities and, you know, you know, reviews from lawyers and all this other stuff, right? There's tons of stuff that could possibly go into it that makes it very, very, very complicated to open source something like that. And then there's the other flip side, which is once you open source it, what do you do, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> when Donet Core and other stuff was open source, you know, the Donet team, like a, a lot of the Donet stuff was closed source forever. And, you know, you talk to Rich or other people who have done podcasts on on sort of the journey of Microsoft into open source and especially the Donet team on uh, open source. And that's a journey, too. There's processes and pipelines. And how do you respond to people? How do you triage pull requests? How do you triage issues? What's the timeline? What are expectations? How do you tag stuff? What's the automation cycle look like? How do you make <laughs> sure that your engineers aren't spending all of their time responding to issues and still working on work, right? Like, just because it's open source doesn't mean that it's empirically better all of a sudden for some reason, you know, it's, it's, it's great. But if there's no plan and no action in place, then things can get a little un, un, unruly uh, pretty quick, which is what we're seeing already in the first uh, four hours of, <laughs> of the algorithm open sourcing. It's a little early to judge it, but yeah, it, it, it's unruly is a very polite word. It's the Wild West out there. People are doing pull requests left and right. 
But you're right. It, it, it's I, I've never been a large corporation. I've never open sourced a very large thing. But I've open sourced small projects, and even my small projects, you know, you have a few hard coded pads here or there. You have a couple swear words in a file here or there. You forgot to reference a license definitely everywhere, <laughs> and you got to go through and do all that stuff. So I do applaud the effort here, no matter how much we're about the trash, whether this actually becomes an open source project or not. Um, if nothing else, it's a good code dump. Um, it, it gives security people something to look at if you trust that this is actually the code that's executing on their servers. It could be different. Um, even, you know, I, I think even when Microsoft first open source.net, like they were doing manual merges back into their private repo, things like that. They weren't actually doing their official builds off the public ones. So, you know, I'm sure Twitter's going to be in that same condition for quite a while. Does it even need to be open source? We can even ask that. It's funny, though. Um, you would think a recommendation system. Of course, they're complicated, but it's a lot of code, James. It's <laughs> sub-projects. It's got ML in it. It's got not ML in it. You can tell it's been built up over the years. Uh, so just getting a handle on the code base can take uh, quite a bit of time let alone, like you said, all the legal stuff. And like I said, all the file path stuff, just getting all that. And it's hard. Like I, Big corporations have big build infrastructures and you want to take advantage of your big build infrastructure. And then you got to make a project that people can actually execute on their own machines. Uh, for instance, all the ML stuff, they release the source code to their models, but they're like, we're not going to give you the data. A, that's yeah. super private. We probably shouldn't even have the data. <laughs> so we're not going to give you any of that. But, you know, here's the code. Good luck. It's it's not really going to tell you anything about how it's actually. It, it's a generic neural network. You know, it's 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 tricky. So even though it's open source, it's still not the source, especially when you have a neural algorithm running. You need the actual neural network for it to be the source. Yeah, it's, and it's very interesting, too, because you also can look at this and you're right, it's built up over a long period of time, you can just tell and there's all these modules and features that do different things. I like how they outline it. They're like, hey, here's the component. Here's what it does. Like one's a knowledge graph, one's for detecting not safe work and abusive content, one's for user interactions and page rankings and this and that, right? All this other stuff. But there's the other part, which is uh, there's one commit on all of this. So you get no commit history on any of this, right? So someone just bit a, did a big old dump and removed that dot get uh, thing and just shoved it in here. And, uh, you know, that's one way of doing it, too, because that's another whole consideration in the open sourcing game is do you want to have the commit history? Do you want to have people's names associated with this? Uh, you know, that's there's a tricky thing. The person that actually committed this code is Twitter team. <laughs> so there's that aspect of it. But yeah, you know, I, I think it's, you know, from from the researcher's perspective, I like that look at it or someone that is maybe interested in just architecture of, of what a large company does and how their things work and diving through the code. It's a lot of Scala. It's a lot of Java. It's a lot of Python. It's all things that I don't want to look at every day, uh, but it's in there. And, and I, I've been <laughs> browsing. I've been perusing, if you will, uh, here and there. But it's it's uh, yeah, I, I don't actually know how useful it is at the end of the day. Like, is somebody going to oh. deploy their own algorithm based off this algorithm? And would you even want this algorithm? That's why I sort of, when you said for researchers and maybe even folks that are trying to see, is there some, you know, in a, you know, the inequalities or something that it can be improved or something that can be, um, there's some bias in the system. Like how could that be removed from the algorithm? Um, 
that to me is more intriguing is probably how it'll be used. It's, it's more of someone looking at it and and seeing if there's a cause for alarm versus like, oh, I'm going to use this for an open source project and build something off of it. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think like Microsoft or Google are going to be copying this algorithm anytime. I'm sure they have one that's just as complex, probably more complex or Facebook or what am I saying? TikTok, you know, TikTok's probably got an insane version of this. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to be revolutionary in that point, but it could uh, spur a spin-off open source project, in which case um, it's, you know, it's old code. So it's hopefully a little bit bug, <laughs> bug-free and things like that. Bug-free code is hard to find. You know, the cost of software is often in removing the bugs. So you would hope that this is at least somewhat debug code and so good things like that could come from it. But yeah, it's not going to revolutionize the world. As a personal anecdote, whatever, uh, I learned how to program by reading other people's source code. And I I opened by asking if you'd ever written a ranking algorithm, because I've done it a few times in the past, nothing sophisticated, nothing interesting. And if you ask me today, like, how would you write a modern ranking algorithm for a social network? I would throw out a few rough ideas, but I wouldn't know which ones are important, uh, which ones are hard, which ones are easy, how to make it efficient, things like that. And so just personally, I like to be able to look at a code base like this and learn. I'm like, oh, okay, so here are the broad strokes of how to implement a ranking algorithm. And I don't know, are are you interested? I I would actually like to talk about the overall algorithm too, uh, not just the fact that it's open source. I'd like to run through it real quick because it's kind of interesting. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, they even provided some uh, fancy images, which I uh, rec- I like. You know, that's <laughs> definitely helpful. And they have a whole bl- engineering blog on it as well. So why don't you start us off and, and dive into it? Yeah, okay. So I guess the, the first big problem you'll run into when you come up with uh, trying to do ranking, or not, not even just ranking, but presenting an algorithmic homepage for people. Uh, first, you have to look at all the things that you could present to the user, and then you have to kind of rank them to decide what you actually will present to the user. And if you're a giant social network like Twitter, that the the universe of all the things that you could put in front of the user is vast, huge, and growing very fast every second. And so I think that I I always wondered about this part, like, how do you narrow down that initial set? Well, of course, that's a whole separate program. So (laughs) step step one in all of this is um, one program dedicated to just that. Uh, It's it's hard to see exactly how it works, but they say about 50% of the candidate tweets, as they will call candidates for presenting to you, come from in-network stuff. So people I'm following maybe people that follow me. I'd have to look at the source code anyway. Uh, It's a little unclear where the other 50% come from. Uh, Maybe just overall popularity, overall, you know, likes and that kind of stuff. So that's interesting. There's a whole program just called Search Index. And (laughs) I guess step one, uh, write a program that at least narrows down the things that you could present to the user. Yeah, I think the the in network, the opposite of where the other ones are coming from must be out of network, right, which I assume here is taking into consideration things like the social graph. So for example, you know, if if you if if, if people know that I follow Frank, which is in in network, right, you're in my network, then if I 
you know, engage with you. And there's probably some ranking algorithm of how much I engage with you. But let's say I'm following you. And of course, a network would be like tweets that I like, things that I retweet, things that I tweet probably. But then there's other things, which is like, well, what tweets did people I follow or engage with, right? Like what, who do you follow? And then who, who, what tweets did you engage with and you reply to and did you do, right? Or um, if there are similar tweets to things that I've done, so let's say I'm using special hashtags, right? Um, are there other ones that are similar enough that they um, maybe are liked by other people or things that I've liked? And then that could go into this out of network, right? Just because I, I might find something because I'm following a hashtag that's you know out of my network or I click on a hashtag, I might like, like a few things. And that now goes into another sort of algorithm, right? It's like, how does it find things that it has no idea if I'm going to like at all? And I think that's the harder part to some extent, uh, in my opinion. I think they're all hard, but that, that yeah. I assume is, becomes uh, exponentially. Once you've narrowed down that big candidate pool, right, the uh, of in-network, the out-of-network is ideally is extremely vast, right? I think that's the thing is, Phew. if yeah. you only took into consideration let's say N levels, right? So let's say you only took into consideration uh, every people I follow and then the people they follow, right? Th- that, that, that does get quite large pretty quick, but comparatively to the entire size of Twitter, that in social network, it's uh, a drop in the bucket, right? So, the, so that everything else, the rest of the bucket is the out of network sources, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't help but to keep thinking of it in bubble terms. So about 50% of the candidates are inside your bubble, and then the other 50% are outside. But it's really up to their algorithm, like you said, because the outside is so vast compared to your little bubble. Um, they obviously have to you know, rank them by how close to your bubble <laughs> they kind of are. And I'm sure that's what another big program is doing. It, that program seems to be called... I, this doesn't actually be the one that's uh, doing that, but there's a program called CR Mixer. It coordinates layer for fetching out-of-network tweets from underlying compute services. Compute services. So just you know, narrowing down what your out-of-graph uh, candidates are requires a compute service. So it's obviously a bit of a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem. But it's also almost like a social problem because... Your bubble is your bubble. You're just going to positively reinforce your own beliefs and everything like that, or you're just going to be exposed to things that you already roughly know. Whereas uh, how much you mix outside of your bubble is uh, is how much new and interesting stuff you're allowing yourself to be exposed to. And it's almost like it's that out-of-network stuff. I'm kind of interested in that algorithm. I, I want to dig a little deeper and see how that one works. Yeah, I think that that one is probably the most fascinating because the the kind of third one that they talk about, which is also out of network, is something that they call like in, uh, embedding spaces. So when you think about it, they can sort of group people into um, these spaces or interests, right? Think of it like this is programming, news, pop, soccer, NBA. Like these are general topics, general things in which there are communities so what's fascinating about this is they have this thing called a SIM cluster. And what the SIM cluster does is it takes into consideration nearly 150,000 communities, which are updated, they say, every three weeks. And users and tweets kind of go into these individual spaces. And what's great there is now, instead of this vast unknown, they can basically place you into these clusters of communities. And now they have a more narrower out-of-network bucket to pick from 
right? Because that's the thing about the algorithm, right? It's easy to just pick stuff, but actually picking stuff that you're interested in and continue to serve stuff so you engage, that's what the algorithm is supposed to do at the end of the day. So the closer they can get you into there, right? And into a specific community or into a topic of interest, that's good. Now, that's good, but also it could be bad because it's like keeping you in a bubble, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trade-offs with all this. Like, I, I'm sure they're going, I mean, you can tell from the code here, they're going for engagement. Are you liking things? Are you clicking on them? Are you following links? Are you watching videos? Uh, it's definitely optimizing for that engagement, as they say. So high level overview. Yeah, that's what this algorithm's doing. But at least it is doing those sim clusters. It's kind of funny. Wow. Okay. So you can break culture into about 150,000 distinct topics. That's awkward and annoying. <laughs> I, I hope, I wonder if that number is arbitrary or they just found that that's a good number. That's fascinating. They should, uh, I would love to see that data move. But again, we don't have access to the real data. So we'll only guess at how it actually works. The, I, I guess so. Like once you, those clusters are just—they're—they're they're just mind blowing to me. Like think of the social ramifications of sim clusters. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> it's the the ranking one is pretty interesting too. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, I was just thinking. Like the other part about those communities is like, are those communities driven by users at the end of the day too? Which then, you know, how do you signify that? I think to your point is like, who's creating those communities? Are the communities? by us. I mean, there is a community tab, but I don't, I don't think those are the communities that, that they're thinking of. You know what I mean? So where is the bias in that community bucketing and how do they get created in general? Oh. So that is something I'm fascinated in. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm, I'm doing a little bit of guesswork here, but the way I was reading it was, this is kind of standard in ML. You just say, I want 150,000 clusters and it will group people into those clusters. So it's oh, more like you, you just tell it how many and it automatically does the clustering. That's kind of a standard way to do it. Not That's guesswork, everyone. <laughs> Don't hold me to it. It's open source. Go read on it. See how it works. Um, okay. So now we've created a data set of in-network tweets and out-of-network tweets. Now we got to rank them because there's a lot there. And we got to decide what to actually show people. And... Uh, but that's the part I got a little bit interested in uh, because they use machine learning, James. We got machine learning into another episode. Yay. They did it. <laughs> um, that was uh, to do the actual ranking. They do a lot of different inputs to the ranking graph. Uh, the first one you already mentioned, the embedding space, which is kind of cool. It's a little program called, they published a paper. So I, I don't know what these letters stand for. T-W-H-I-N. So Twitter, hidden, I don't know, Twitter embedding space. It's kind of fun. Um, this is kind of standard practice also in ML where you have um, maybe a few data sources all related to each other, and you want to turn that into one big number. <laughs> you want to simplify it. It's called an embedding space. It's just a number. You say this number has 256 dimensions or something like that. You get to pick a number yourself. And you train a neural network just to create an embedding of the tweets. And you can almost think of it as a summarization. So in some ways, it's doing a little bit of natural language processing. It's doing a little bit of graph reconstruction. It's doing a little bit of who knows what, because it's ML and we really don't know how these things work. And it's doing all that and creating basically this high dimensional summary of the 
tweet. And I was excited because it was ML and I had to go look at the source code. And I discovered to my both delight and horror, it's just a plain old neural network. <laughs> Nothing overly <laughs> too special about it. <laughs> Turns out um, as being just one additional input to everything else and also uh, embedder embedding spaces are something we're pretty good at training neural networks to do. It's nice to see the code was actually pretty simple and pretty readable. So if you're looking at some real world applications of ML, I think uh, the TWHIN program is a fun place to start. Yeah. And from my understanding too, is that there's kind of multiple rankers as, as well. I think like this is there, there's the, the features, right? So there's sort of ranking inside of this stuff and they have like this light ranker and heavy ranker because you're right in the ML and there's two, there's two repos, by the way, there's the algorithm and then there's the algorithm ML, right? Because I think that there's the embeddings and then there is the for you heavy ranker. And, and I don't know if the Th- twin or whatever is the light <laughs> ranker that they talk about or not. I think it's separate from the light ranker. Um, but I think well, that's the, the, the early, like way back in the day, original ranker that they used. I, I believe they're just combining all of them. They're, they're okay. running all the rankers and just kind of combining the results as, as you should. Uh, you, you should have multiple things recommending and then take the, take the mean, take the average of what they produce. Well, the interesting part is even after the ranking is done, the job is still not done, Frank. Did you know that? Because once you have group things and then you have rank things, you need to filter things. Yeah, I kind of forgot about this part. But of course, you would think, I guess, in my naive thought on how Twitter works, you would think they would do the filtering when you post the tweet, like they would just not allow the tweet. But um, maybe there's modes, maybe there's settings. So like maybe dynamically you can turn it on and off more filtering. So the definite one that caught my eye was the NSFW one. So there, there's a nice NSFW filter in there, everyone, if you need it. Yeah, they say that they apply the following filters to all of the rankings. So once things are ranked, you get visibility filtering. So they filter out you know stuff that you blocked or muted, which is interesting. I guess that you don't need to do that first because you would spend cycles on filtering out stuff that uh, maybe not even might not even get into the ranking. So that's fascinating. Like do all the filtering last, which is in my mind is like, I would want, I mean, when I mean filtering, I mean, not grouping, right? Because you've already done all the, the grouping uh, of the in network and out of network for those candidate sources. But now what you're doing is you're like minimizing it down to saying, okay, now that we rank them, let's actually go ahead and filter out stuff that may not be, um, good for this user or also might be too many. So they have one that's called visibility filter. So again, if you've blocked or muted people, they have a, one called author diversity, which is avoiding too many consecutive tweets from a single author, uh, which is funny. I don't know if that one works very consistently or not. I, I happen to see Elon a lot <laughs> in my feed. I don't know. Then there's like a content balance. So that makes sure it's that in network and out of networks are there. There's a feedback-based fatigue. So they say that this one is oh. based on if if you've provided negative feedback around different tweets or lower, you know, different things there. There's also one that is called social proof, where it takes into consideration second degree connections of tweets um, if people have like engaged. So for example, it says it ensures that someone you follow engage with the tweet or follows the tweet's author. So that's like doing another round of checking to say, okay. Is it something that is out of network, you know, uh, that I'm not following, but it's still 
close enough at heart. And then there's one that's uh, around conversations and edited tweets as well, which is thinking about uh, how many replies to a thread there are. And then is this tweet, you know, stale or, you know, has it been edited in various versions? And they do that as well. And that's, that's just like to get down to, to another part, which <laughs> those are all different services. So all these, tw- all these things are happening in real time. They say 5 billion times per day. Um, and each time it runs, it takes about 1.5 seconds, which is fascinating. Because the last part is that it actually is a mixer. And I think the mixers are really, really interesting because you have an algorithm to, to kind of like find the best tweets. But at the end of the day, the algorithms that run to do all those things that we just told you, they're good. But then the company still needs to make money. And <laughs> then they also want you to continue to engage in different ways. So tweets aren't just one of them. So what they say is they have an advanced mixing algorithm that mixes together that new optimized filter down timeline but also mixes in relevant ads, which who knows how many algorithms and how many things are being yeah. run on the ads that are being served. And then also who to follow, which I don't even think they even talked about that one. Maybe that is there's there's a product mixer um, in the software framework in here. So I don't know if that's the actual one that's there, but that one basically will then look and say, OK, well, I need to recommend other other users or other things to the to folks. And that will go into another scoring pipeline and they get mixed together into the actual timeline and that is how the algorithm produces many and when i say the the algorithm i mean like a whole bunch of algorithms are all running (laughs) all at real time which is kind of crazy well it it's good i i wonder if it was um this clearly layered before or after the open sourcing (laughs) you know how it works in companies You, you you jump between layers and things like that but it is neat to see it all layered out like that and then, of course, you got to mix in the ads. And yeah, who knows? Who knows? They didn't release that code, huh? I don't see any ad code here. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's fun. I, I Again, I, I, I like just kind of learning from it. You went through all those different filters on it. Can I, can I read a couple more? I yeah, find these yeah, yeah. just really interested. interesting. Uh, these are the outputs of the neural network that's actually ranking these tweets. Also, the ones it's to present to you. Okay. Probability the user will favorite a tweet. Makes sense. Probability the user will click into the conversation of the tweet. Mm-hmm. Probability the user will click into the conversation of the tweet and stay there for at least two minutes, James. Wow. Uh, they're checking your retention. That's got to be mm. low. <laughs> <laughs> and even the, the poor little neural network has to predict that number. I, I want these numbers for me. I want to run this neural network on me. I want to know, like, what what is my attention span? I want to know, like, which tweets will I pay attention to? Uh, The probability the user will interact negatively. The probability the tweet author profile likes or dislikes, whether you like or dislike their profile. Um, Whether you're going to click on the author, whether you're going to report the tweet, whether you will retweet the tweet, or whether you will watch at least half of the video. Mm-hmm. So that is, I guess, you know, I, I'm sure they tried a lot of different outputs on these networks. And it's just really interesting to see that this is the set that they settled on. This is engagement, everyone. All those think pieces about how engagement is ruining the world. Uh, right here, this is engagement. This is literally what that company is using to measure that. And honestly, they're basically the ones we're all used to from everything else. So there's not anything too surprising here but it is neat to see the actual set that they've settled on yeah i think so too and you know when you look at it when you think of twitter 
it is not just text, right? It's not just authors and text. It's images, it's GIFs, it's videos, it's potentially audio, it's potentially, you know, a bunch of different sources of things that you can post onto Twitter at any given time. And those are all going into algorithms and probably have different weights and different things. And there's polls and surveys and this and that, right? So there's general things that are in network and out of network there, but then there's, okay, well, what about all these other things, which is, which is cool. Yeah. And it's funny, like going into this conversation, I thought I would be most interested in the ranking one. But as I keep saying, it it turns out it's kind of simpler than the fun, interesting things it pulls out. I I think my biggest take back from this discussion is those, those SIM clusters, man, I want, I want to know more about these SIM clusters. (laughs) So I'm going to dive into that code and I want to see how they are grouping society (laughs) into our little clusters. It's the approximate cosine similarity algorithm. So they are embedding us and putting us into clusters. And I want to know what cluster I'm in, James. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I will say this. There's one file specifically really getting a lot of attention on the internet, which is uh, specifically inside of the home mixer, which we talked about the mixers at the end. And this is, there's a, there's a method called uh, candidate predicates. Yeah. And this one is also one that's doing a bunch of waiting and doing other stuff and all this other stuff. And the one that's getting a lot of attention is the author underscore is underscore Elon. And, and, <laughs> and that, and that, um, of that course. Is, yeah. So there's that, but there's uh, a bunch of other stuff in here too. Like there's like text only, there's like has toxicity score. Like, you know, it adjusts things based on that. Um, but yeah, author is a power user. Author is a Democrat. Author is a Republican, right? So there's these different, you know, stats and rankings and other things that are in and out of the uh, out of the thing. But it's kind of interesting because you're talking about the outputs, right? And the outputs are feeding the what, what's going in here. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And if you want to get super high level, the outputs of this algorithm are feeding the inputs to the algorithm because these are the things we reply to and mm-hmm. they spark conversations and spark new conversations, replies and all that. You could get really metacircular with it. Anyway, at least the filtering is at the end. So even though maybe Elon is ranking himself, uh, at least my my block of the word Elon is going to stay strong as long as that, as long as the mixer uh, obeys my filters and things like that, I, I guess I'll be okay. I don't know. Isn't it creepy when you see like actual people's names in source code? It's like classic 1980s hacks, backdoors yeah. and things like that. It's just weird. Uh, it's so funny. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I love it. Uh, let's, let's talk about the open source part real quick. Uh, okay. I, I didn't know we were both going to like the algorithm that much. It's, it's fun to talk about. Uh, the open source part you introduced me to, there are currently 109 pull requests and they're all hilarious. About 109, there's probably some real ones, but about 109 joke pull requests on the algorithm. And it's going to take a bit of effort if they decide they actually want to do this project open source versus just doing code dumps, or maybe they'll never update it again, or whether they're going to filter through already in the last, what, four or five hours, they've gotten 100 scary pull requests. James, a lot of them just delete the whole repository. I, I, I I don't find that funny. Well, if you do uh, in real, this is happening in real time. Uh, do a little refresh on that repo for me, Frank. Oh, you know, I loaded the page when we first started talking and we are up to, well, oh, oh, James, James, what has happened? James, there aren't any pull requests anymore. There are 124 closed ones. That's 
that's a very good turnaround for code reviews and accepting. They're crushing it over there. <laughs> I, 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 I have a feeling that apparently Twitter service, which is a, a GitHub bot, has closed all pull requests. So, so I don't oh, boy. Well, okay, here, here. In their own words, they have a contributing section. We invite the community to submit GitHub issues and pull requests for suggestions on improving the recommendation algorithm. We are working on tools to manage these suggestions and sync changes to our internal repository. So it sounds like they're not at all ready yet to take commits. That that is some boilerplate. I wonder if ChatGPT wrote it. That is some boilerplate. We're not ready. And therefore, they killed him. There had to be one. Do you think there was one good pull request in there? Uh, you know what I actually did see in the beginning is I saw a bunch of typo fixes for documentation and this and that. And those are always solid, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the problem that they have is that there's no uh, like a CLA bot. So there's no legal agreement bot that I saw that was set up. So like if you want to go contribute code to, uh, let's say, the .NET repos, there's this CLA bot, <laughs> and it's like some legal bot or whatever that says, hey, I'm contributing to the source code. I'm giving XYZ some legal blah, 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 blah. Like you sign a thing, basically, um, uh, that says I want to contribute because some lawyers, it's very important. This why blah, 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 right? So that I don't think they had any of that set up at all. So yeah, there's not in a place yet um, to, to make that happen. Um, so <laughs> I'll be excited to see if they they go about it. Uh, but, you know, they did. They, at least they, you know, have that out there uh, that that uh, that they, they want to at some point. And like you said, let's see what happens uh, at some point and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited to, for the journey here. Uh, the question is, like you said, will it even <laughs> will it even matter at some point? I, I've heard that the that. The for you algorithm is going to be for like, uh, oh, now we're going to get into a debate of Twitter in the future. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've basically heard that the the for you will only be for blue check marks or whatever. That's what that's what they were oh. said on the tech meme ride home and this and that. So will the algorithm even matter unless you are you going to have to pay seven dollars a month for the algorithm? That's strange. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you're still going to get the ad algorithm. Or maybe yes. not. Who knows? I, yeah. I feel like the ad algorithm will never get turned off. James, real-time update. I believe you need to hit refresh. We have already oh. gotten a new update to the repository. Removing, guess what? The aforementioned authors.yaml file. And there is no longer any elons in the code. So they have de-eloned the code already. Thanks wow. to your feedback and your contributions community. Boom. Wow. Look at that. Wild. Already fixed. We've, we've improved the world somehow. Now, the question is, will they take this back to the main repo, like you said? Well, it, I mean, they pushed it forward, right? I, oh. I assume they're doing their real work from their main repo and then syncing up with it. But again, who knows how long that'll last? Wow. This, I mean, again, this is where the fun parts of it, not only the analyzing it, but now watching this happen in real time and seeing those come in yeah because it's not like that was a pull request right that was just like a push forward commit yeah yeah wow straight off their machines and oh, already wow. the chat room is <laughs> the chat room is going wild everyone everyone's very happy <laughs> so they're bum, doing bum, one bum. thing okay one way to do open source eight way 
There you go. They can close. They can probably close an issue now. Solved it. You're welcome. Only sixty-six uh, more to go. Uh, all right. That's well, there fun. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Big open source project. Lot to learn from. I can't wait to dig in again. Clusters, everyone. Let's all learn about our sim clusters. I love it. Now, I'm excited to see if there's going to be changes to Twitter in real time of this. And if so, I mean, that's that's kind of cool. You know, you put it out in the world and we'll see what happens. You know? <laughs> oh, man, that's great. All we'll right. See if the Mastodon takes it. <laughs> uh, ooh, I, but, you know, before we get out of here, I do want to talk about one more thing. I, I posted it to you and me. I don't think we have enough to do an entire episode on uh, yet. Uh, but I, I, want it, I want to at some point, um, I want to let everyone know, all of our listeners, Amazon, yes, the Amazon, Amazon.com, they have a, a new test kit for Sidewalk. Do you know about Sidewalk, Frank? Uh, no. Is this something you're going to make me buy? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So here's the thing. So Sidewalk is their uh, secure, free to connect, long range and low power shared community network. Think of it as um, Find My Phone, but by Amazon, the Find My Network, ah. but it's this. So every ring, every Alexa, every... All, every every Amazon device is uh, in this low power share mode. So the sidewalk, this is really, really cool. So you can go to sidewalk.amazon. That's the URL. <laughs> that's it. Just go there and that'll reroute you to slash test kit. And you can request a test kit. It's from Ring. Um, but what this is for is think of it as like this. Um, imagine you're in a scenario where you um, want to be able to deploy IoT devices, but you don't necessarily want to connect to a cell phone uh, tower, or you want to mm. go through the hassle in the in the rigmarole of of configuring Wi-Fi. Um, uh, you know, you know how you know how you gotta like you know expose a Wi-Fi thing, connect to the Wi-Fi yeah. thing, send the credentials, and then you can connect to the internet. Instead, you can create IoT devices um, using Sidewalk, which would then connect to the Sidewalk um, network. And what this means is that you could deploy devices. Um, that can connect to the internet, uh, that, and that covers 90% of all Americans, uh, which is really cool. So think of it as, hey, I want to deploy, uh, here's a good example for you, is, hey, I want to deploy a bunch of IoT sensors and devices for watering plants, but I don't get Wi-Fi on all the way in the back of my yard, but I might get my neighbor's, you know, blah, 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 sidewalk network, or you know what I mean, <laughs> that type of scenario. Yeah. But you can order a, a request, a test kit, it's free, I requested mine. Uh, and I'm really interested to see if this is a thing that uh, is there. And if you look at the coverage, there's a coverage.sidewalk.amazon. And when you look at it, it's it's uh, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so you can look <laughs> at your little island, Frank, and see if you're covered or not. So that's kind of cool. I, I just got my internet working. And now you're telling me I have to share my internet with people? I don't know about this. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you can you can opt out, but rest assured, everyone's opt in by default by looking at the map. So I'm sure. Okay. Well, I'll try to do my Amazon homework. Thank you for the recommendation. And if I pull it off, we'll do an episode. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll sidewalk it up. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Let us know what you find in the algorithm. Hit us up on Twitter at MergeConflictFM, at James Montemagno, and at Proclarum. So until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.